Good morning, church. Our reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any scriptural gifts, spiritual gifts as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will always keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly perfectly united in mind and thoughts. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptise you any of you except Christmas and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptised in my name. Yes, I also baptised the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else, for Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross Christ the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Amen. Well, many of you uh, know that uh, I am a bit of a fan of coffee and uh, coffee shops. Uh, And in particular, I'm a bit of a sucker for coffee shops that have that kind of, you know, industrial, uh, hipster sort of vibe. Uh, You know, I like to find a coffee shop maybe a bit off the the beaten track, uh, not really down on the Esplanade, but, you know, uh, somewhere in a laneway or in a factory somewhere. Uh, Actually, as I was writing this, I was sitting in the uh, Tattooed Sailor Cafe on Newell Street, which I think is next to a car garage and, uh, you know, is part of their their roastery factory and uh, just enjoying the grungy aesthetic and the, the 
uh, a delicious long black. But uh, this week I discovered something a bit sad, actually. Uh, what I had thought was, you know, a bit hipster, uh, a, a bit trendy, a bit alternative uh, in my coffee tastes. It's actually totally mainstream. Uh, this article came off my Facebook feed and it was a long article about how the whole industrial, grungy coffee shop vibe, uh, it's apparently spread over the whole world through Instagram. It doesn't matter what city you go to, uh, you can find coffee shops like this. They are absolutely everywhere and far from being populated by sort of hipster or countercultural kind of people, uh, these coffee shops are actually full of ordinary office workers uh, on their laptops or maybe pastors on their laptops uh, sipping their flat whites. Uh, sadly, I'm a lot more mainstream than I thought I was. Uh, I'm guessing my kids probably told me, could have told me that a long time ago. But what about our church? Uh, you know, whether a coffee shop uh, is mainstream or alternative, uh, honestly, it doesn't really matter, does it? They're there to serve coffee. Uh, whether my coffee tastes are countercultural or whether they're uh, totally conventional, uh, it's probably not something that I'm really going to lose much sleep over. But for us as a, a church family, as a community of Christ followers, whether or not you are countercultural, whether or not you are different from the world, or whether or not we are different from the world around us, that really does matter. Because as God's people, we are called to be different. We are called to be set apart for God. Uh, Jesus actually came to turn our sinful world upside down. And he wants his people to stand out as a countercultural community. He wants his people to be a community that is shaped not by uh, the sinful values of the world around us, but he wants us to be shaped by the cross of Jesus. This is really the big theme of the letter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul around uh, 60 AD, uh, 30 years after Jesus uh, had lived and died. It was written to a church in a vibrant trading city. Uh, Corinth at that time was uh, uh, known for its, its uh, athletic games, the Isthmian Games, which actually rivaled uh, the Olympics uh, in size and popularity. Uh, it was known, uh, as we heard in the kids' talk, for uh, being a place that was, uh, gave anyone a go. If you were an ambitious person, you could go there and it didn't matter what kind of background you came from, uh, it was a bit more egalitarian. You could get ahead uh, if you had the right skills and the right gifts. And it was also known uh, for its exciting uh, nightlife, uh, many temples, uh, prostitution, that kind of thing. Uh, Corinth uh, it was an exciting culture to be a part of. Uh, the people who were there, no doubt, uh, loved being part of their city and as Christians, the church was struggling to be different. The church was struggling to be different in their ambitions, the things that they uh, valued most highly. They were struggling to be different in their sexual ethics. They were struggling to be different in their social lives. They were struggling to be different in the way that they did their church gatherings. As we're going to find out as we go through this later, too often... The things that happened at church were exactly the same as the things that happened in the rest of the city. And the big theme of the letter, the thing that Paul wants uh, the, these Christians to understand is that they should be different. 
They should be a culture that is not shaped by their city, but is shaped by the cross. And across uh, the next four months or so, a uh, term and a half, I'm going to see some of the different ways how our church culture should be shaped by the cross rather than the city where we live. Because in some ways, just like the church in Corinth, uh, as a church in Cairns, uh, we Cairnsians, I guess they'd be called if uh, Paul wrote us a letter, the Corinthians, the Cairnsians, uh, we, we face the same temptations, don't we? Uh, Cairns is a wonderful place to live. Uh, And it's easy to be shaped by the culture around us rather than by the cross. So this is uh, where we're heading uh, this term. But if you want to turn now to the beginning of this letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, you can see the importance of this theme of being different is there right in the very first verses of the book. Even as Paul writes his first greeting to the Christians in this church, he highlights the theme of being set apart, of being counter-cultural. Uh, look at how Paul addresses the Corinthians in verse 2. Uh, he's, uh, firstly, he's introduced uh, himself uh, as uh, the, an apostle, uh, a messenger sent by God. And then he writes to the Corinthians, he says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. The word sanctified in that verse that you see there is actually the uh, verb form of the word holy. Uh, To be sanctified means to be made holy. Uh, We could say to be holified, except we don't use that word in English, do we? Uh, But that's what sanctified means. It's to be made holy. Uh, Now, in many translations, also in that uh, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians, you would see the word saints instead of holy people, called to be saints. Uh, Now, holy people is probably a better translation just because saints carries a lot of baggage with the whole Roman Catholic idea that saints are some kind of super-Christian. But you can see here that's not the case. Uh, All Christians in this church are called, uh, uh, well, all of them are sanctified, they're all made holy, but also they're all called to be holy people. Uh, The word saints literally means holy or the holy ones, the holy people. Uh, That's what it means to be a saint. So what does it mean to be made holy or to uh, be uh, called to be holy? This word is all about being different. It's being set apart Uh, In the Bible, in particular, the word holy is to be set apart, to be like God. It's being different from uh, our normal, sinful human nature and being pure and perfect and loving like God. And the first thing Paul reminds us in these verses is that as Christians, we actually have the joy of being sanctified by Jesus Uh, When he died on the cross, uh, he died in our place and he did that to take the penalty our sins deserve and bring forgiveness so that we can be accepted by God. Uh, And when he does that, uh, because we're forgiven and accepted by God, Jesus brings us out of the world uh, and uh, he makes us part of God's holy family. When we're united to Jesus, when we put our faith in him, God accepts us as his beloved and perfect children instead of 
as sinful and rebellious creatures. This is what it means to be sanctified in Christ Jesus. It means that our relationship with God is completely changed, not by our actions, but by what Jesus has done. I hope you really appreciate the joy, the peace, the security of being sanctified by Jesus. You are God's holy child in Christ. It doesn't matter whether you had a great week or a rubbish week. It doesn't matter if you're living an exemplary Christian life or if you're struggling and burdened with sin. You're not sanctified because of what you do. You are sanctified in Christ. You are God's holy child because Jesus has died for you, because you are forgiven uh, and because you are adopted into God's family. Uh, With uh, Australia Day on uh, Friday, uh, a lot of people had the chance to become citizens of Australia. Now, if you want to become a citizen of Australia, you actually have to jump through quite a lot of hoops. Uh, You have to live here as a permanent resident. Uh, You have to pass some different cultural and language tests. Uh, You have to be a person of good character. If you've got a blot in your history, that uh, rules you out. And, of course, you've got to pay some money as well. How different to becoming a citizen in God's kingdom? There are no tests or fees to become a citizen in God's kingdom. There are no background checks. All you need is to be united to Christ by faith. All you need is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. And you are made holy. You you become a citizen of God's kingdom, a citizen of heaven. Uh, That is what it means to be sanctified. But while our position with God, our our citizenship in his kingdom, that changes the moment we put our faith in him. Of course, the way we live doesn't change immediately, does it? The moment we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive a new heart from God, and so we're now receptive to living for God. But the process of changing our old uh, sinful nature uh, and uh, our old worldly way of living and starting to live in a way that reflects our new citizenship in God's kingdom, uh, that is a long process, a process that will last all of our lives uh, and sometimes it's a difficult process and a painful process. I think the way I think about this is it's like uh, you've received citizenship in God's kingdom. Uh, You have all the benefits and privileges of being uh, one of his people. But God's actual country is a long way away. It's like you become a citizen on the other side of the world and your life is spent journeying towards that country, towards uh, uh, actually experiencing fully uh, what it means to be uh, God's person. Always we know we are God's citizens. Uh, Always we have the security uh, that he is our king. But we struggle to live as citizens in a foreign country uh, and we'll do that all the days of our lives. And that's why Paul here in this verse, he says that Christians, uh, that they've been made holy by Jesus, they've been sanctified in Christ Jesus, but also... They're called 
to be holy people. They're called to be holy people in the way that they live so that the way that they live more and more begins to match their identity as God's citizens. And that's the big challenge that the Corinthians are facing, Uh, the challenge for us as well uh, as a church. Are we living as citizens of God's kingdom or are we actually much more living as citizens of Cairns? Is our culture shaped more by the cross or by the city or by the country we live in? Because we're called to be holy. We're called to be more and more like Jesus. It's my prayer that as we work our way through 1 Corinthians, we'll see more practical ways that we can become more cross-cultured, more holy, more like Jesus. So that's uh, the first thing that I think we learn uh, here from uh, 1 Corinthians, that as Christians we're made holy, sanctified, we're also called uh, to be holy in the way that we live. But Paul is also uh, thankful for other things that are happening in uh, the uh, Corinthians' lives. Uh, As is the normal practice in his letters, after he's greeted the people, he goes on to uh, express thanks to God uh, for them. Uh, In the case of the Corinthians, he thanks God that they are a gifted church. In verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. God has generously given the Corinthians uh, lots of gifts especially gifts of speech and knowledge. They're able to speak with great eloquence about Jesus. They're able to explore uh, the finer points of theology. These gifts are blessings. uh, And uh, they're things that can be of great benefit uh, to the church uh, to be able to speak well about Jesus, to be able to understand how the Bible fits together. But if you've ever read any of Paul's other letters, you might notice that the tone here in 1 Corinthians is just a little bit different. If you are here two weeks ago, you might remember we looked at the start of the letter to the Colossians, another church. And in that letter, when Paul gives thanks, he gives thanks to God for the faith and the love and the hope that God has grown in the lives of that church. And in fact, one Thessalonians that I just read from earlier when we were praying for our kids' own leaders, uh, one Thessalonians has a very similar start. God, uh, Paul also thanks God there for the faith and the love and the hope that is uh, springing up in their lives because of what God has done for them. But here in Corinthians, there's no mention of faith or love or hope. And that's no mistake. Because sadly, as we're going to see as the letter goes on, in the church at Corinth, they're actually struggling with faith and hope and love. Uh, They're struggling to be uh, with these uh, fruit of holiness, uh, this being set apart for God, living differently, rather than... uh, showing faith and love and hope in in their lives. Uh, They're much more keen about the gifts of speech and knowledge. And so instead of uh, thinking that uh, their their Christian life is about that journey uh, of growth in holiness, of that calling, 
they actually think they pretty much made it now because they are such gifted people. Paul says in verse 7, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. It's true. The Corinthians, they don't lack any spiritual gifts. And that is a blessing for them. But gifts don't save people. Gifts are not where the power of God is found. Some of the most gifted preachers I've ever heard have actually ended up doing much more harm in their, life, in their ministry uh, than good because they lacked kindness, they lacked humility, they lacked self-control, they lacked uh, the fruit of faith, hope and love. And so the giftedness that they brought uh, was totally undermined by their lack of holiness. See, when we think about the gifts that God gives us, whether it's personally or as a church, first thing we want to ask is are we using them to help one another grow in holiness that is why god gives gifts to his church it's not to help us to be impressive to the world around us it's actually to help us to be different it's to help us to grow uh, in holiness until the day when jesus returns Now, thankfully, in spite of the lack of uh, growth in holiness in this church, uh, God is still faithful. Uh, Paul writes in verse 8, God will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you uh, into uh, fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, God is gracious, isn't he? And, And he works in our lives even when we're not necessarily quite on the same page as him. But I think the, lesson, the letter to the Corinthians, overall, Paul is wanting to challenge this church and he wants to challenge us as Christians not to be proud of our gifts, not to think that they're the most important thing, but rather to be grateful for our gifts. And if we're grateful, that'll make us humble and that'll make us ready to serve, to help others to grow in holiness, to be like Jesus. So the Corinthians are a gifted church, but not necessarily in the best way. They have a lot to learn about being a more holy church. And we see that actually in the next little section of this letter, where we find that uh, in spite of all their gifts, the Corinthians are a divided uh, church. Uh, Verses 10 to 17, we discover that there are divisions in this church caused by church members uh, promoting different leaders over others and getting into arguments. Look in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Unity is such an important part of uh, being a church. Uh, It's an expression of the fact that we all trust in the same Saviour. It's an expression of the fact that uh, we're all sinful people uh, and so we should all have a humility uh, that is ready uh, to uh, bear with one another and uh, and put up with one another in uh, serving uh, God together, loving uh, one another. Uh, But that's not the case. And uh, we see the cause of the disunity in verse 11. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, 
One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Some people love Paul. Some people love Apollos. There's another teacher there. Some people love Cephas, that's uh, the Apostle Peter, uh, who I'm sure you know about. And some people even just saying, well, I love Christ. Uh, They probably think they're particularly holy and, well, they're not going to listen to any preachers at all because they're they're just going to follow Christ. Now, it should be said, there are times when it's important to disagree with a preacher or Christian leader. Uh, If they're not being true to the Bible or if they're not living a holy life, uh, then they need to be corrected. Something should be said. And uh, uh, the church gets into trouble when leaders are just allowed to do whatever they want. But the rivalry here in Corinth, it's nothing to do with the truth of the message that these uh, guys are preaching. It's nothing to do with their holiness of living. Uh, All of these uh, these leaders are, are, are good leaders. Uh, They all know the truth. Uh, They're all seeking to to live a holy life. The conflict here is about things like who does the best baptisms? Uh, Who has the best style? And Paul wants the church to understand that this kind of thing doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who baptised who. It doesn't matter uh, who... uh, it has uh, the most uh, trendy style of uh, debating uh, the issues in, uh, of the day uh, that people from outside really like. What matters is if these leaders are being clear about Jesus and his death. You can see how Paul kind of sums up his point here in verse 17. Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It's not the symbol of baptism that saves people. It's not the gifts of a pastor that saves people. It's the cross of Christ. It's the death of Jesus that saves people. That is where God's power is really found. And the task of doing Christian ministry is not to be the most impressive person in the eyes of the world. It's to be clear about Jesus in the way you live and the words you say. Now Paul's going to have a lot more to say about the cross of Jesus and the work of Christian ministry in the coming chapters. uh, And uh, we're going to look at that in a lot more depth. But today, I think we want to see here that Christian leadership is different from worldly leadership. A world of leadership is all about the skills and abilities of the leader. Christian leadership is all about pointing people to Christ uh, because he is the one who can save. And that is what we as a church are called to agree on. That is what we're called to have one mind about, to let Jesus be our top priority, to let uh, unit, to him unite us together in every part of our lives. So as we begin this new series in 1 Corinthians, let's uh, rejoice together that we have been made holy. Uh, Let's commit together to uh, following our calling to become more holy. And let's uh, learn to be living different from the world around us, uh, that we can have a cross culture here at our church uh, rather than the culture of our city or our world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you uh, for Jesus. 
We thank you that he was willing to come and die on the cross and that through him we can be sanctified. We can be set apart as your holy children. We can be welcomed into your holy kingdom and live as your citizens. Father, please fill our hearts with peace and joy and security, knowing that we have been sanctified in Christ. And then, Father, please spur us on uh, to live holy lives that reflect what you've done for us. May we live as citizens of your kingdom, uh, not citizens of this world. Please spur us on to this as we uh, work our way through this uh, letter to the Corinthians. Uh, Help us to learn uh, from their experiences, uh, from their mistakes, uh, and see how we can uh, be growing more faithful in our following of Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.